We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we got reintroduced to Dennis Schroeder. Uh, had his opening media availability with the Lakers after some visa issues. And Mike, there's part of it that caught your attention. Talk to us. Well, the whole vibe around Dennis Schroeder coming in and has to do with Darvin Ham. And I think that... <laughs> It's it's hard to underscore the importance of this type of relationship in certain situations. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all. Sometimes it matters a lot. But there is a with a player like Dennis, like there's a huge background of trust between these two who probably were together more than people realize, like for five years in Atlanta uh, when, you know, the start of Shooter's career. And so Shooter started out by talking about how he has unfinished business. And, you know, that was when he was last time that he was here. And we've gone over all that before. I, I really liked how he played, especially early in the season. Once he got, in Darius terminology, slotted upwards when all the injuries happened, that was not a burden that he was able to carry as well. But he had some really good moments when he was just the guy that was supposed to be the, the pest up and down the floor and occasionally creating weak side offense. And But the point, to get back to the main point, so Geeter asked him about Darvin Ham, and he said, that was the main reason, to be honest, uh, that he was here. I've been with him since 2013 when I was drafted. He's been nothing but great to me, learning from him over the years, staying in touch. Um, he went on to say that he calls him family. And there's just there's a real bond there. And I think that that you're going to the basic point that I want to make out of that is that sometimes that matters, sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, I think it, it ensures that you're going to get the absolute best that Schroeder has to offer um, in terms of effort, in terms of energy, in terms of role. There was none of the I expect to start, which was the whole thing last time Shooter was here mm -hmm. um, when he came in. There was sort of like, I trust that Darvin knows me. He knows what I do on defense. He knows what I do on offense. And therefore, I trust because I know he has my best interest in mind. I trust that he's going to use me accordingly. And I don't know, Darius, it's not like I've never heard that before, but it just stood out to me Um in the context of that, it wasn't the easiest last season at Boston for Schroeder. The ending in, the, in L.A. wasn't the easiest and the whole contract thing that he got into. But that was just 
to have him say it like that and mean it and then have Darvin back it up saying the same thing, I thought was significant. I thought it was too. They both talked about just that bond, right? And I think it was Darvin who was, it might've been Darvin who was saying this, but that he was, Dennis was his rookie. Like he was the guy who was with him all of the time. Like he was the one who was like doing player development stuff with him, right? And so every, ask any pro who their first PD guy was, right? And if that's the guy who typically sticks with them and those guys end up being guys who do have a relationship with them throughout their entire NBA career, right? It's, it's especially if they're a good coach and, and uh, you form that good bond. So, A, I think you're right with that. I also think like the vibe I got from Dennis was just a certain amount of, of <laughs> what's, what's the word I'm looking for? He was both honest and he was forthright, but he also had that smirk of like, I'm ready to get after it. Right. So mm. he got asked about playing with Russ and he was also Mike, very complimentary of his time in OKC and the season that he spent playing, playing with Russ and Russ is my guy and he's helped me so much on and off of the court. And so if it's all about the vibes, I thought Dennis had some good vibes going yesterday and he does seem ready to compete right now. Mike, let me redirect this to Pete if I can. So when the move happened, right. And we all heard about it and shooters coming in the first Question was kind of, well, I, the way things ended and, I, you know, I'm not sure with LeBron and AD and, and the Finn, they've already got a lot of guards and all that. But Pete, with the after hearing Darvin and after hearing Dennis and we've heard Rob Palenka say before that he spends some time with Darvin as they look up and down and see what players are available. That's starting to make more and more sense to me. Right. And I just wondered if if you got that sense as well and if it and if it it also is another guy that fits into the style that we've seen right mm -hmm. from darvin so far so i've that i've come a a certain way having that having just this brief like the brief information that we have and i wondered how that struck you it, it's funny how the slotting that darius always talks about can impact your perception of a player in terms of like how favorably or unfavorably you look at them. Because when he was supposed to be our third guy and he didn't come up particularly big in the Phoenix series when we needed him to step up into being our second guy, I remember being at the end of the first Dennis Schroeder experience like, yeah, I'm fine if that guy like, you know, goes, maybe we can retain him for a MLE or something like that. But like I was, I was fine with him being out. But that relationship between Darvin and and him and that trust that you opened with Mike and then that stylistic match with the roster that we have and so much money being tied up in three players with that one of the things that we need amongst the other guys is we need to take some some flyers right and Dennis Schroeder is not an vet minimum talent, if that makes sense. He's someone that I think a lot of the dynamics that we've talked about so far has come into play in terms of teams deciding, yeah, I want to have him here or I, or I don't. And that, like, if that is something that's in a good place, Palinka brought up uh, Dwight Howard as an example of this one. We signed Dwight in 2020 because Dwight was a similar player. And we talked about this at the time that Dwight was not out of the league because he couldn't play basketball. It was for other reasons. And at some point, your basketball talent 
decreases to a point where it's like it's not worth the other stuff and that's how guys like that end up out of the league but Dennis is a good player and he's not a vet minimum talent and so having those kind of guards like AD was talking about this yesterday that ability to pick up all over the floor and just we have an an embarrassment of riches in terms of depth at the guard spot and so I see just a lot of synergy. That's been one of the themes of this preseason is the talent and the personalities match the coach and the coach's scheme. And Dennis Schroeder, I think, is going to be a good example of that. Well, Mike, this portends well with what we were talking yesterday, right? Which was AD at, and the last two days actually is AD at the five and the how you make that work and why you actually go in that direction. And it's because of having better and deeper perimeter talent than maybe you do at the center position, right? Where AD is your best big and LeBron can always scale up to power forward. And what are your thoughts then about Dennis and where he can fit best and how he then works his way on to the court and how big his role could feasibly be. You talked the last pod about how hard the guys are playing and to the level of success that the team has had just in terms of holding leads and hanging in there, even without all all of their guys available. One of the benefits of not having all of the guys available is that guys have gotten extended run. Right. Like when you don't have the full team, it's just like, hey, well, Austin, you could go out there and play 25 or 30 minutes. Oh, Lonnie Walker, go knock the rust off and get a 25 minute night or a 30 minute night. Right. Like play as much as you want, because there's minutes out there to to be had. But well, as things shift back and Russ is going to be back in the lineup and Pat Bev is going to be back in the lineup. And now Dennis is actually here after not being here for a week. Do you think he has a firm role? going into things because of his relationship with Darwin and Darwin knows me and he knows what I can do. Does that feel like an on-ramp for him? Or do you think it's still more prove it the way that almost everyone else has had to sort of prove it coming into the preseason and throughout training camp? Yeah, it might take a little bit just because of all the guys that have already been playing. And we've talked about the guards and the lack of wings, but Eventually, and whether that's a week or a month or at some point of the season, to me, there's no way that Dennis isn't some part of the rotation Mm -hmm. and like he'll he'll find a way to get those minutes. And I still in a perfect world, as you guys know, I would rather have some bigger wings and and you be able to use that size defensively to weigh on teams and and have some of those guys that ideally can shoot a little bit. But having listened for many, many, many pods about some of Pete's theories and <laughs> multiple ball handlers and, you know, getting up and down the floor and, and energy. And this team is really fitting into that in, a, in such so a different happy, way. Mike. I feel like the basketball uh, gods from last year, I feel like the basketball gods are smiling on me and giving me everything that I wanted to see stylistically from last year's team. Yeah. And Pete, and they owe you too, because growing up a Laker fan must have been I real know, tough, yeah, right? Just I really, mean, just, it's been tough, and <laughs> I, it's just nice to catch a break from them, Mike. I, you know. Exactly. Oh, man. A whole five postseason losses that one year, Mike. Like, yeah, oh, my goodness. It's been right? tough. Growing up a Lakers fan, right? Like, oh, another Game 7 win. Oh. Not only that, like the fact that they lost Game 1 to Philly to ruin the, the perfect postseason, that was messed up. And that team should have been undefeated. And I feel like, you know, hopefully there's some payback for that down the line that we we get that back. Yeah, Yeah. 
<laughs> so to get back to Schroeder, I just I think that the way that he plays, Anthony Davis talked about this. He essentially said it's hard to dribble with him and Pat Bev on the floor. And I'm just thinking about how what a pain in the ass it's going to be to play this version of the Laker team where so in the current starting lineup, you got Russell Westbrook out there and feeling empowered and, you know, talking and running and doing his things. And this is putting Russ in the the perfect world, right? Saying that he's doing all this stuff. You got Pat Bev out there harassing you. Um, Let's say that you get through and you got Austin Reeves just trying hard everywhere, being smart, taking charges, doing all this. Then let's say you get past that first line of defense and then there's Anthony Davis. Uh, maybe LeBron is more engaged on that end because he sees everybody else going crazy out there. Um, then, okay, well, that's fine. Then you come in off the bench. Dennis Schroeder comes in and resumes the harassing all the way up the floor. And I think it was, was it AD that was, he said something about 94 feet about Schroeder and then said, oh, well, I know Pat Bev is Mr. 94 feet, but you know, they can both do it. So you got him coming in to do it. You got Lonnie Walker, who is talking about nothing but defensing. The offense is going to come. You know, this is where I got to really get on the court. You got him. He's athletic as hell and he's running around. And and so and on and on like that's the that is a team that is not typical to play against. It's it's going to require a certain type of a scouting report. And there are ways to take advantage. And this is, again, where mm-hmm. I mentioned some of the size, especially on the wing. But that in a regular season, especially, I think is going to be is going to be tougher to handle than at this point, I think the rest of the kind of NBA community, whether on podcast or Twitter or even some of the some of the teams, I'm not sure if they're gonna gonna expect exactly what that could be. Um, at again, that's at the optimist view of it, and that part I think is kind of exciting because it's a there's a lot of guys there, Pete, that are that are just kind of nasty uh, type competitors, and the ratio that was there last year for that kind of guy is very, very different. Mike, I remember so many circumstances where Russ was clearly the guy who should have been guarding whoever needed to be guarded on the other team. Just when you looked around and it was like Malik as the other guard or Wayne Ellington, right? And this year, it's just so far away from that. You know how much I love ball pressure guards. That's something that's one of my favorite aspects of basketball. And we have a ton of that. I do. I I too would like a forward and I would I would love to get more into the wing conversation in another pod uh, because that's something that that you guys especially been really adamant on. I'd love to see how you see that manifesting itself. That is that is one thing, though, like JTA and when, you know, that is one thing that they they do have that that energy, too. That was going to be one of my counterpoints in that discussion is that, like, if you don't have quality forwards at least if i had to pick between defense or offense give me guys that play defense that play hard and both jt and wenyan like i'd rather they were our fourth and fifth forwards rather than our third and fourth forwards but you can get by they can be part of a bigger thing where even though i'd ultimately like a forward that has a bit of a higher you know three and d level uh type of player a little more skill to their game but yeah this is a a, a squad that i'm excited to watch on the defensive end and i totally agree with your point mike that we're going to be unconventional enough to be a difficult team to play during the regular season so i love the optimism i love the idea of like this is what they can be at the best version of of themselves and i see the path towards towards that i really do because i have been impressed with and i texted you guys this during the warriors game it's just like oh the lakers were up again at the end of the first quarter and i think mike corrected me that um they had actually trailed it maybe what at the end of one of the first quarters during one of the other games but they've been in 
every single one of these games during the competitive portion of the games were both teams were trying with their best players on the court. The Lakers have not been blown out of the water once in the portion of the game where you saw rotation level guys. I mean, they've won all of those minutes in every game. Collectively, they've won those portions of the game. And so I see the path to what you guys are discussing. One of the things that I'm interested in talking about more, though, is how you stay on that path. And one of the ways you do that is through buy-in. So I want to talk about that on the other side of the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So 94 feet, Pat Bev, 94 feet, Dennis Schroeder. Oh, look, there's Russell Westbrook. Oh, look, there's this guy and that guy and, and <laughs> Austin Reeves and, and Lonnie Walker and all, right? Like name after name after name. And it's going to be difficult to play all of these guys in the role in which they're going to want to play and the role that they're competing for right now. And so if there was a graph, there is a point in time where your give a damn meets up with the role that you're <laughs> like seeking this. out uh-huh. and the role that you get, right? And, and that is the optimal performance part of the graph. It is like, I, am, I have been told that if I do this, I will be rewarded with that. And once you, and I'm wondering 
is every player has a different point in their mind in which they think that they are getting the thing that they have been told that they would get if they did the thing that they were asked to do. The numbers game in this backcourt are going to make it extremely tricky for all of these guys to play the role in which they envision for themselves over the course of a full season, assuming relatively good health for everyone, right? And so I'm just going to pose it back to you. How much do you, either of you, see that being a challenge and a hurdle for this team to keep guys engaged and competing defensively considering that they may not actually be rewarded with the thing that they're seeking by competing and playing hard defensively. I think it's a fair setup to the question. My instinct while you were laying it out is almost to go the other way on it, because I think that Darvin Ham has this certain way about him that he's, he's kind of tough to argue with because he's going to lay out the scenario He's going to tell you what he needs, but he's also going to be supportive. And then he's also going to be firm. And then he's huge. And I don't know, there's just, there's, there's something about him uh, really uh, genuinely that I think these guys feel. And that was the, again, it's the, it's why I, we started this pod by me mentioning Schroeder and he just trusts Darwin. Now that doesn't mean that it goes forever. Like if by game 70, he's getting no minutes and Darwin's like, Hey, come here. You're my guy, <laughs> you know? So but I think that he and, and honestly, I think that Frank Vogel was better at parts mm-hmm. of this than people gave him credit for. He was better at keeping the whole roster engaged, you know, find trusting guys, finding ways to get guys minutes. Sometimes you play 11 guys. Sometimes you might play 12. And I don't usually like that, especially in a playoff situation wh- where you sort of have to pick some by the end of the season. And sometimes beat that stuff gets handled by one yep. or two injuries and then you're down to the rotation. But I think that this system and this is where I want to kick it to Pete Uh, This might portend to instead of playing two of those guys, just having them be like the bench guard that plays 26 minutes. Maybe you play 120 and the other 10 on one night in a matchup and then the other plays 20 and the other plays 10. And you monitor that and you talk to those guys and you make sure that they're and that to me. That seems like something that Darvin is going to do well with. But we, of course, do need to see it first. Yeah, and it's certainly a balancing act. Now, if we start AD at the five and we go three guards in the backcourt, that bumps in a conventional rotation. That bumps up. Normally, you can only play four guards. That bumps it up to five. Now, we have six. In no particular order, you've got Russ, Austin, Pat Bev, Lonnie, Dennis, and Nunn. That's six guys right there. And so there are going to be a decent number of nights over the course of 82 where somebody's hurt they've got a nagging ankle injury something like that and that will resolve itself the seventh guy is also max christie who i feel totally comfortable with at least playing defense uh, on bench units right Uh, but he has no expectation of playing but the other guys i think darius's question is totally spot on and that idea of like yeah we could say that now that darvin is very authoritative and that he's got everyone rowing in the same direction and buying in and all of that that's great it is october uh, it's mid october as we record this and what is what does that look like if you're out of the rotation like lonnie walker's been talking defense and has actually played defense in the first two games that he's been involved in but that's not something that he's historically done it's something that's obviously very much on front of mind because I, I would guess that he was told, like, if you want minutes, you got to be able to do this. 
But there's a very realistic possibility that Lonnie or Dennis, like one of those guys aren't going to be able to play out of those six. And they've done everything that they need to do. But it's also to Mike's point, I think a little bit as well, in that there's some degree of natural competition in that like Kendrick Nunn has played so well that right now we wouldn't even discuss as him being one of the guys that could be that sixth guy because he's shown it on the court. And so in some ways, this is a problem that resolves itself. But by the time you get to the season, like it's it's going to be tricky. I definitely understand the setup for your question. Yeah, that whole idea of good problems. Like, I'm with that, <laughs> sure. but problems are problems. And ultimately, they do need to be solved. And I think there are natural resolutions. There are like, oh, this guy is sitting out. It's a rest day. We've talked before about Pat Bev's durability, for for example. And he's talked about that. I heard him talking on Draymond Green's pod, podcast recently that the style of game that he plays lends mm-hmm. itself to getting, like, dinged up. And missing some time every now and then, right? Because he is a get at, he is such a get after it guy. And he knows the only reason why he's in the league is because he does play that hard and he does sort of walk that line of physicality in all instances. He does defend up so, so often that it's just like, it, it makes sense that he's not going to play 60 games or 70 games, but there's just numbers that he doesn't reach. Right. And so some of this will be naturally resolved. I think to play devil's advocate for my own point, the idea of it is, is that you, you keep getting guys to compete at their highest level because once they stop, the other guy is still there doing it. And, and it's just like, it's, it's, the reason why a lot of times people run their personal bests in race, like when they're running in an actual race, rather than when they're out there just training by by themselves, right? And and it's because the people who are behind you and the people who are in front of you, they are your pace cars. They are the people that are pushing you forward and they are the people who you are chasing from behind in order to try to catch up because you want the thing that they have. And so that's the counter to my own question, but I still do think it is something that's going to need need to be managed. And I'm keeping my eye on this, Mike. Well, this is also how humans, you know, build cities and like build planes. You also need some pressure. And like I thought of it in the context of, you know, trying to lift as a team or something. And and if you if you're going to get those last couple reps and really gain like gain muscle, then you actually need a spotter. Because otherwise, on your last couple of reps, you'll just drop the weight on your chest. And so you need you need somebody else to drive it and literally lift it up in order for you to get that gain. And that is the shape of what they have on the roster now towards the system that Pete has talked about. And certainly Darwin, uh, Darwin leading the way and uh, bringing a lot of what they had in Milwaukee in. But it it's different from that because of the all of the stuff that we talked about as a weakness in the offseason. There, mm. I think Darwin is trying to pull strength out of it. And we're going to now see what the flaws are, yeah. but it's almost like leaning into a certain way to play. And if you, and I still think that they can make one trade and get one wing. And all of a sudden, then you're mm-hmm. in real business because you can go, you can go either way. You can go to a little bit more of a traditional style if you need. But in the meantime, let's say that you're a pressure guard or, you know, knocking on wood, but, you know, Pat Bev doesn't play every game in a season, right? He's always going to miss some time. And then guess you just plug shooter in now, not in terms of with that starting lineup. Cause you can't, that's too small then probably, 
right? If Pep is going to slide up in, in defensive wings, but I don't know, maybe like Schroeder, he really can approximate that defensive pressure at least that Beverly has minus a bit of the size and strength, but uh, he'll Schroeder will battle you. I, I kind of remember even him switched on to big sometimes and just, just sort of like in at the knees and swiping and he's got long arms. So I don't know. I'm um the, I am feeling more optimistic Pete in the sense of, of what, what should be expected because the, it's making sense to me as I go there every day and I listen to everybody in, in the sort of conglomeration of what the plan is this year. Yeah, it's cohesive. It it's it matches the talent that we have. And that doesn't under the current roster construction. There's I don't think there's a way to get to a title team with this roster. But I think my goal has been to be a trade away, especially by the time we reach the deadline deadline. And we've taken steps in that direction. It's all very early. Haven't played a real game yet. Um, but I wanted to bring the attention back to Dennis's game offensively in particular. Uh, very famously, as Dennis was heading out the door, one of the stats was he only had one lob to AD over the course of the season. Now, AD missed a bunch of games. Certainly that first stretch of the season, which is where Dennis and AD played the majority of their games together, that he didn't have... Uh, AD wasn't exactly rolling to the basket a ton, right? He was very much ramping up to start that season. All of that. That said, uh, there was a certain degree of clunkiness that I'm curious how much this style of play resolves. I think back to the team in the bubble that Dennis was on. He was on the OKC team with Chris Paul, who had just been traded for Russ. Dennis had played with Russ the year before, and Mike was talking, spoke to that earlier. Um, but that was a team that was closing with three guards oftentimes, and they had the best net rating in the league, league I remember. Uh, it was Gallinari was the fourth guy, and I don't remember who the fifth guy was. But it was a small ball group with three guards. And and I'm super curious to see how that looks. So Dennis, the player offensively, talk to me about him, D, and about like what he brings to the table now that you've gotten a look at all of the rest of the team. Well, I think a lot of this comes down to his fit within the system versus what he was asked to do and the, the alignments of players and the alignment within the scheme that the team played with under Frank Vogel, right? This sort of four-out system with very very firm mm -hmm. um spacing ideas and like it goes back to some of the stuff that we talked about the lakers first started camp and, and the boxes that they've put on the court and where guys sh should be standing and simple things like that and the idea of dribble handoffs and like multiple screens and um flipping screening angles this is all stuff that dennis can really it's going to play to his strengths, I think, as a driving and as a slashing player. And in Frank's system, he he got so many of his drives against switches, right? Because teams were switching against him and switching against AD because when they were going under, AD would often rescreen a lot or whoever the big was would rescreen a lot. And then it would trigger the ability for Dennis to isolate, right? And so... He was isolating at the top of the floor in one guard fronts in a very similar way to how LeBron was isolating. And I think that these two gap driving systems, the driving lanes that this system incorporates is going to be so much better for Dennis as an offensive player. And that four out style, the stuff that you mentioned in terms of those lineups with with OKC, Pete, I would imagine the fifth guy was going to be like 
Steven Adams a lot mm-hmm. of times as like a screener and a defender and a rebounder. Well, okay, play that sort yeah. of style. And instead of Gallinari, it's LeBron James. And instead of Steven Adams, it's Anthony yep. Davis. And think about what your driving lanes are going to look like then if you're playing a similar four out style offense with a two guard front, because that's the sort of system that OKC would play. It would be Dennis up high with Chris Paul. It'd be and it'd be SGA in one of the corners. It'd be Gallo in one of the corners and it'd be mm-hmm. Steven Adams shifting between the dunker spots and coming up and setting ball screens. And those are the sorts of sets and actions that if you run those now with the Lakers, you're going to get much better looks if it's like Pat Bev in the corner, LeBron as one of the guys that's that's up high, AD in maybe in one of the corners or one of the guys that, that's in the dunker spot, and then the other guard is is maybe Austin Reeves. And it's just like, okay, well, we could do something with this, right? And so I envision that a lot of the things I did not like about Dennis, that they'll be mitigated a little bit more because his decision-making is going to be much cleaner within the context of this system versus what the asks were under Frank Vogel and in Frank's system, in which Dennis did play well. He just didn't, there was a certain ceiling that he had on his game because of the the decision-making asks that he was put into as a lead guard within that sort of style. It's a great point, and it's one that I, I wanted to get to earlier, so Darius gets the credit for it. But just thinking of him next to Shea and next to Chris and how that gave defenses problems in contrast to when he was in Boston and how Boston wanted to play largely more through Tatum or on occasion Brown, not as much of a flow offense, mm-hmm. right? And in sort of when he was given the ball at the top of the key and then he's got these two big wings and he's just still – it's like, oh, go to work. Well, that's not really what – it just was never a fit. In that context. But Pete, I wanted to get a thought from you. How much have you done any spreadsheet work yet in thinking about where Dennis best finds his minutes? Because I'm curious what your initial thoughts are on when and where to use him and uh, what groups you would like to, to see him in the most. Yeah, I'm going back and forth between that uh, end of the first quarter, the wraparound, or to start the second quarter. I think he's more likely to start the second and fourth quarters and help run those groups where I, I think those AD lineups where LeBron is off of the floor in particular. Um, I, I'm still figuring out the rotation. It's like the substitution pattern that Darwin has had. He plays players shorter shifts, which I really like because he's asking like defend, defend, defend. And now guys are coming out at the eight minute mark. Remember, AD was playing full first quarters. Right. And so I don't have it ra- be, I, on, handled be, be, yet. Be, be. Yeah. Look. The coaches need you to, to figure it out now so that they can employ it. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. He's like, Not I'm at all. Figuring it out. I let, so Pete, let, like, you know, we got, we got it. We got to have it in place for Wednesday's game. So right. oh, I got, cool. I got mine figured out. He comes in at the beginning of the second quarter in mine, yeah, right, but I'm go. still figuring out Darvin. No, Who cares you, about well, mine? Darvin I want to figure out Darvin's. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> well, this is where too, right? It's just yeah. like, these games that are coming up as more dress dress rehearsals, they will give us more insight into what things are going to look like, right? When you know that LeBron is only going to play 18 minutes or 19 minutes and he's only going to play two two shifts, well, then guess what? I'm going to give him a 10-minute shift and a nine-minute shift, and then that's that, right? It's going to be different when you're like, okay, well, I'm mapping out a 35-minute game for LeBron James 
and a 36-minute game for Anthony Davis and a 32-minute game for Russell Westbrook, what do those patterns actually look like, right? Or 28 minutes for Russ or 22 minutes for Pat Bev or 20 minutes for Dennis Schroeder. How do I find 24 Mm -hmm. minutes for Austin Reeves? Do I want who is going to be a four shift player versus a three shift player? Do we have any two shift players on this team that we think that that's what their role is going to be? There hasn't been a single game yet Mm -hmm. this preseason that has allowed Darvin to institute a map like that. Now, I know that they have iteration after iteration after iteration of that stuff on whiteboards at the facility, and they've had countless conversations about that as as uh, coaches, but mm-hmm. practically putting it into place during a game, that has not happened yet, Mike. And, and so these last two games are going to give him that first chance because in theory, everyone but Troy Brown is going to be available at this point. One of the things that Milwaukee was kind of known for, too, was not playing their stars a ton of minutes with Giannis in particular. So when he said a LeBron 35 minute night and an 80 36 minute night, I wonder, are those 32 minute nights? Maybe we need them to play the 35 and 36 to win. But I do wonder how much that's part of Ham's philosophy. Part of the fun of uh analyzing the team uh, on a day-to-day basis and seeing where we're going with this. I'm just having a blast uh, discussing all of this. We'll be back tomorrow, talk a little bit more. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! Unbelievable, it's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.